0: Sanctuary for you. Amen.
1: Thank you, Jeff. Musicians, well, good to see you this morning. We were just talking in the hallway out there. It's been a busy weekend, and uh, for those who were here last night working in the trunk retreat and you're here early this morning, God bless you for... uh, enduring and getting up being with us in the early service. I welcome you, and it's good to be here with you. Take your copy of God's Word this morning and go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. 1 John. We've been in our study through this first letter, and we'll really conclude it this morning. And we're going to think for a few minutes about prayer and intercession. Prayer and intercession. As we come to this part of John's letter, there are two things that we should understand about prayer before we read what he has to say here. And and, and let me just share them with you very quickly. Number one, um, it is expected when we read the Bible as Christians, as those who are born again, it's expected that we will pray. It's taken for granted when you read the scriptures that we, that we talk to God the Father, that as the redeemed of Christ, that we have that kind of relationship with God where we pray. In other words, the Bible teaches us that to be saved, is then the natural follow-on of having a a desire to pray and it's natural for us. In fact, I would even say this far, uh, prayer for the Christian, prayer for the child of God should be as natural as breathing. It should be a normal thing that you respond in prayer. I know through the course of my life, through the day, uh, no matter what I run into, no matter what situation I run into, I am compelled uh, by the Holy Spirit to pray over those situations. In fact. Think of a few things that Jesus said in Matthew uh, 6 when he was talking about prayer. Let me just give them to you real quick. Matthew 6, 5, Jesus said, and when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray. And then Jesus said in verse six, but you, when you pray. And in verse seven, and when you pray, and in verse nine, in this manner therefore pray. Jesus expects us to pray. Jesus taught us about prayer with the expectation that we would uh, pray. And secondly, not only are we expected in the Scriptures to pray, to have a prayer life, but the Bible tells us that we are expected to pray for others, and we call that intercession, that we pray for the needs of others. And I give you two groups of people we ought to be praying about that encompass everybody. Number one, you ought to pray for lost people around you, people that are without Christ and those who are are under the condemnation of God's judgment for their sin. You know lost people all around you, your classmates, your friends, your neighbors, I have neighbors around me that I pray for regularly, that they would come to Christ. And every opportunity I get, I try to talk to them about Jesus. But I think I've lived next to most of them for so long, they know it's coming and they don't listen to me. But the fact is, I still pray for them because I want them to be saved. Some of you have family members who are lost, you should pray for them. You should pray that God would intervene in their life and save them. So we pray for the lost and secondly, we should pray for one another among the brethren. The Bible teaches that we should pray for one another. You see, Christians are born again and saved and we're citizens of heaven, but we still live in this world and we have troubles, don't we? We have problems and we have issues and we have challenges and life is hard and we have sorrows and we have hurts and we should uh, undergird one another with prayer. We should pray for one another. Paul said this, listen to what he said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 to 4. Listen to this very carefully. Paul said, therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, requests, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Paul said we should pray for all people around us. And then specifically, verse two, for kings and all who are in authority. It means, Christian friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter who's sitting in the White House, you're to pray for them. No matter who walks the halls of Congress, you're to pray for them. Because God is sovereign and in control. Paul said, pray for them, why? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Listen to this, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Prayer is an obligation. Prayer is a privilege to stand before the throne of God. So Paul encourages us, exhorts us to pray. Now with that foundation about prayer, I want us to think about what John says in this passage, beginning in verses 14 and 15, and he speaks here of confidence in prayer. Can we pray confidently? Can we pray with an expectation that God not only hears us, but that God will answer us? And the the answer to that question is yes. And he says we uh, can have confidence in Jesus as the foundation of our faith, and we can have confidence in him as we pray. Look at verses 14 and 15 of 1 John chapter 5. Now John said this, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Now the first thing John says here is that we can pray with uh, with confidence. Some translations, depending on which version you have of, of the scriptures, will say you can pray with assurance. Confidence and assurance, it comes from uh, a Greek word, parousia. Now parousia in its most basic definition when the word was first used meant to, meant to have a, a, a freedom to speak boldly. We would use in our vernacular today, freedom of speech. And so what John's saying is that we know that when we pray as the redeemed of Christ, we have freedom of speech before God the Father. We can come before God boldly and speak clearly and boldly to Him of the things that are on our hearts. We can speak to God the Father, through Jesus Christ about lost people. And we can pray for them to be saved. We can speak to God the Father and speak boldly and confidently with assurance about the things that hurt us and the things that bother us and the things that are, that are weighing on us. And we can pray and ask the Father. We have that privilege. Now, what is the source of our confidence? Why is it that we can go before God the Father? Think about this. Because John says, because we are in Him. In who? In Jesus. You see, we can approach the throne of heaven because we're in Jesus Christ. We can approach the Father 24-7 and lay our petitions before him because we're in Jesus. The writer to the Hebrews said in Hebrews 4.14, seeing that we have a, a great high priest. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is the one through whom we have access to the Father. And in Jesus Christ, we always have access to the Father. Think about the high priest in the Old Testament. What was his job? His job was to represent the people to God and God to the people. He was the intercessor. What is Jesus doing at the right hand of the Father now? Making intercession for all who call upon his name. So we have confidence that we can come boldly before the throne of God. Not arrogantly, not disrespectfully, but with all confidence that when we reach out to our Heavenly Father, he cares about what we care about. And he cares about what hurts us and he cares about what, what, what discourages us. Have you ever prayed like this? Have you ever said to God, God, I'm discouraged? I have. I said, I have prayed, Lord, I'm working, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm discouraged because the things that I think should be happening are not happening. And God comforts our hearts when we do that. You can be discouraged in school, been there. You can be discouraged in work, in, in your profession, you can be discouraged in the people who are around you. People can discourage you, can't they? I mean, not here, but you know what I'm saying. People can discourage you. Family members can discourage you. People can discourage us. Situations in life can discourage us. Circumstances in life can discourage us. Isn't it comforting to know that we can have confidence and assurance that we can go before God the Father anytime. And He hears us. And not only does He hear us, but He cares and He can minister to our needs. Now I've had people over the years ask me, you know, sometimes pastor I pray uh, and, and I don't think my prayers get past the ceiling in my bedroom or they don't get past the, the place where I'm, I'm praying and, and, they, and they will ask me, you know, how do, we, how do we really know that God's hearing us? Well, this passage is your answer. John says right here, we can have confidence in God. You say, well, it's hard to have confidence when sometimes I don't pray and I don't see anything happen. No, listen very carefully. When you pray, something is always happening. The sovereign God is deciding what's good for you. And sometimes what God decides is good for us is not what we think is good for us. And sometimes when we ask God for what we want, it isn't what God wants us to have. And so what we have to do is be willing to have God answer the prayer that He wants it answered, the way He wants it answered, because God's answer is always the best answer. And so we can pray with confidence. We can pray with assurance. Now. John also tells us here uh, that there's a, a specific key to effective prayer. In other words, there's a key to praying and seeing God answer it. Now, it's, I don't know about you, but I, I really am encouraged when I pray about something and then I see it happen. That ever happened in your life? I mean, you pray about something specifically and then boom, God does it. And, and you just are encouraged about that. And, and the way that happens, it's not by accident. Notice what John said again in verse 14. Now, this is the confidence, the assurance that we have in him, in Jesus. Now watch, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Do you get the key in that verse? We need to pray according to God's will. Now, understand this very carefully. Prayer is not an attempt to to bend God's will to ours. Prayer is us conforming to God's will. Prayer is us saying, God, I want what you want, not what I want. What did Jesus say in the Garden of Gethsemane? Lord, if there's a way for this cup to be taken away, that I don't have to do this, good. Nevertheless, what? Not my will, but yours. That's how we should pray. We must pray according to God's will. Now, somebody will say, well, pastor, sometimes it's really hard to know God's will. Well, I'm glad you came this morning because I'm gonna help you. You ready? You say, I want God to open up heaven and just speak to me right out of heaven and go, this is my will for you. And then that will clear it all up. I I can just know what I'm supposed to do. Not quite that easy, but pretty close. Listen, the number one place where you can find out the will of God is in this book. If you read the Bible, you you can discern almost every situation in your life what God's gonna want for you because His will's always gonna be in accord to what His Word says. Let me give you one illustration, marriage. What do we know in the Bible about marriage? Number one, if you're saved, don't be unequally yoked, right? In other words, marry a saved person. If you're saved and you marry a lost person, you're asking for a world of hurt. That's another message, but I'm just, trust me, from an older guy who's seen it, you marry somebody who's lost, Life's not gonna be easy. So number one, the Bible says that God would have us be equally yoked, right? The second thing the Bible says is God hates divorce, so when you get married, stay married. Not popular today, but that's God's will, right? So you marry somebody who's saved, if you're saved, and you stay married, and the Bible says marriage is one man and one woman for life. Not two men or two women. Sorry that offends people, but that's the truth, okay? So now we know that about marriage. We know that in the Bible. So I don't have to pray about God's will, about marriage, about any of those things, do I? Lady came to me one day in the ministry over the years and she said, Pastor, I'm praying about my marriage. I said, well, that's a good thing. She goes, I'm praying because I'm not happy and I'm praying about leaving my husband because God wants me to be happy. Well, now think about that for a minute. Because of what I know about the Bible, I'm not God, but I can say to her, I can tell you the answer to that prayer before you pray it. The answer is gonna be no. Because God said in his word, you marry somebody who's saved, and then you stay married to them until one of you dies. That's it. And so for her to say to me, I'm praying about leaving because God wants me to be happy, that's poor theology. And that's not praying in accord with God's will. So the answer to that prayer is easily going to be no, because God will never approve of what he said in his word. He will never disagree with what he says in his word. So when we pray, we need to pray in according with God's will. We need to pray according to his word. You say, well, I pray for lost people. Well, that's in accord to God's will. We just read in 1 Timothy that God would have all men to be saved. So if you're praying for lost people, you're praying in accordance with God's will and you'll see people saved. God will save people. If you share the gospel enough times, God will bring somebody into your life that you share the gospel with and they'll get saved. So pray that prayer, that's fine. You say, I pray for my marriage that God will make it strong and that God will protect us. God will hear that prayer. Why? Because that's his will. I pray for my family that it'll be strong and be secure in the faith and that I can be the husband and the father I'm supposed to be. God will hear that prayer. Why? Because it's in his will. So pray according to God's will. Now, someone will say, well, pastor, that's pretty easy. You picked an easy one, marriage. What about the stuff in life that isn't specifically covered in the Bible? And there are many instances in life where you just can't turn to to chapter and verse and go, oh, well, look what God said right here about selling my house. Or look what God said right here about which school I'm supposed to go to or or should I take this new job or not take this new job? You're not gonna find that in there. But listen to me very carefully. I'll tell you what you can do. As a child of God, you can get on your knees before God and say, God, I want to be in the center of your will. Well, it's still about God's will, isn't it? God, I want to be in the center of your will. Should I buy this house or not? Whatever it is, God, should I take this job or not? Should I move here or not? Here's, here's the experience in my Christian life. God, always, God will always show you the path to go. God will always show you what, what you ought to do. Let me give you a couple of examples very quickly. I spent over 20 years in the military. Those of you who are, who are familiar with the military, every three years or so, you get orders. And orders means they send you to a new command or they send you to a new place. And it could be from the East Coast to the West Coast, uh, from here to uh, some other country, it just, it's wherever, it, and it's predicated, they tell you it's predicated on the needs of the Navy. And back when I joined up, they weren't as touchy-feely in the military. And they would say, we didn't issue you a wife or a family, we gave you a sea bag. And whenever we tell you to go, we want you to get your stuff and go. And it was like, yes, sir. and, And you get your stuff and go. But there were several times through my career where Sherry was here, my family was here. There's three Navy bases here. And I said, Lord, I'd really like to stay in Jacksonville. Sherry's going to college. We have a house here. Really don't want to get moved. Now listen, is that in the Bible? Chapter, verse, pray this prayer and you can stay in Jacksonville? No, it's not in there. But as a child of God, you know what I know? God's will for my life is right. And so I would say to him as my heavenly father, because I can pray with confidence, right? Because I'm in Jesus. So I would go to God and I would say, Lord, here's all the reasons I want to stay in Jacksonville. My wife's in college. You know, I'd give God my list of reasons. Then I would always say, God, and we're really active in church at this church and I don't want to leave church. And, And I was teaching Sunday school and I was serving as a deacon. So I was like, God, we're really plugged in here and I'd like to stay here. Two times, two times I saw God do what only God can do. I called a detailer, said, hey, can I stay in Jacksonville? He said, no, there's no orders in Jacksonville. Um, You're gonna have to move. So I prayed more. And the guy said, you're gonna have to call me back next time and you're gonna get orders, no matter what, you're gonna get orders. And so I called him back the next time thinking, already kind of getting in my mind, God wants me to go somewhere else, I'm gonna move. I called a guy back, and his first words out of his mouth goes, you're the luckiest guy on the face of the planet. And I'm thinking, nah, I ain't lucky, I just know God. And he goes, I just got these new wrecks that were late, they didn't come in with the rest of the wrecks, and there's an order in Jacksonville, Cecil Field, do you want them? I said, yeah, I'll take them. So you see, I'm telling you, I can tell you from life experience, God, God can move circumstances. He can move the United States Navy for one of his children if he wants, if that's what he wants for your life. i give you one about this church. God called us to start this church. We got a group together. For months, we could not find a place to meet. I didn't want to meet in a school because we didn't have a key to the building and we couldn't go and have prayer meeting. We couldn't do VBS. We couldn't do. I wanted to, I pray God, we need, we need a building that we had the keys to that's our building, that we can, I don't care if we rent it, I don't care, we need a building. It can be a barn, I don't care, but we need to be able to get in there when we need to get in there. And so I prayed about that hard, nothing. I mean, we would drive, I would take lunch all, I was still in the Navy, I would take lunch, I would drive around Orange Park, I would look for, for buildings, storefronts, empty buildings, and I would call. Nobody want a church in there. there was say, no, you can't put a church in there. So we would... Man, we were scouring Orange Park. And the only thing, on one day, I don't remember what day it was, I was in my office at S Jacks, and I had a, a big office, and, and uh I closed the door and got on my knees in my office and said, God, we, you know, we're gonna start this church here in a month or two, and we need a place to meet. I met up with a guy for lunch who was my who was one of my visiting buddies that I visited with, and we prayed and we got in the car and the first place we drove to had an empty building. I called a guy, he said, yeah, man, we'll let you put a church in there and boom, it was done that quick. Now you say, well, that's just coincidence. That's not coincidence. That's God. We're praying and God hears our prayers. We know it's God's will for us to start a church, the thing was made very clear to us. So we know we're praying in God's will and we're asking God, God, it's your will for this to happen. Now we need some help to, to make this thing happen. And God did it. And you know, I could, go, I could go back through my life and give you all those examples. So what I'm saying is, we pray in accord with God's will from the Bible and then on those those things that aren't specifically spelled out in there, you know that if your life is in the will of God, if you're saying, God, I want your will for my life, then all the ancillary stuff around in your life that you pray over because you're walking in the will of God, God cares about that stuff. And God can move circumstances and people and situations to bring it about to be. And that whole thing with the church, by the way, I didn't tell you the best part. There was a partnership. There were three of them who owned these buildings. And the first guy I called... Uh, was a, was a church guy, was a Christian guy. And he said, yeah, man, we'll let you put a church in there. But then his partner was opposed to it. Again, we don't want any church in our rental building. The first guy called, overrode the second guy, and we got in the building anyway. So the point is God can move people's hearts and make things happen. Uh, we, we just have to take it to God and we have to ask him as his children in his will, and God will move those circumstances in life. Now we're told here one of, the, one of the great benefits of being a child of God is that we're always heard before God. He says in verse 15, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. You've heard this before. God answers every prayer of his children and answers in one of three forms. It's yes, no, or wait. That's it. God always answers that way. Every prayer you pray, That's gonna be one of the answers, yes, nor wait. Now we don't like two of those. We like like the first one, we like the yes. And not only do I like yes, but I like yes right now. Like not yes later or yes in a week from now or a month from now, but I like to pray and get yes right now. But just as us as parents with our children, the, the good answer, the best answer is not always yes, is it? Sometimes the answer is no. And sometimes I say, wait, sometimes Hunter especially will say, well, when you tell me maybe later, that kind of means no. I said, no, it doesn't mean no. It means no right now. It means we'll reevaluate for later. And with him, there's always a reason we need to wait a little bit. But the point is God treats us the same way. Sometimes it is better for us. Yes, I'll give it to you, but we need to wait. The time is not right. Why? Because God's timing is always right, isn't it? God's timing is always perfect when we're asking for those things. Now. Let me deal with one other thing and we're gonna spend the rest of our time on interceding for others, praying intercession. What about lost people? Now everything we've said this morning so far is about saved people. If you're a born again child of God, if you've been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, you are in the family of God, you're a child of God, and all these things about prayer are true for you. But what about a lost person? Can lost people pray? Lost people can pray, but, but we need to understand something very carefully here. Lost people are not in Jesus. Lost men and women are separated from God because of their sin, okay? Their sin separates them. That's why they need to be saved, right? Because Jesus reconciles them to the Father. He forgives sin, uh, makes them a new creation and then brings them to the Father so that we have this relationship in the family. So lost people can pray, but not like saved people. Lost people, cry out to God in times of, of distress, you know, there's no atheist in the foxhole kind of thing. And, and I often hear people, when something bad happens, they'll go, oh God, you ever hear somebody do that? Well, that's an instinctive, that's an instinctive thing because even people who say they don't believe in God are creating an image of God. And when something terrible happens outside of their circumstance, it just comes out of them, okay? And they don't even know why it comes out of them. The only prayer God wants to hear from a lost person is a prayer of confession and salvation. That's what God wants to hear from lost people. God's ears are open to anyone who wants to be saved. God is receptive to anyone who wants to be saved. But I would suggest to you from studying the scriptures that lost people have no right to the throne of God because they're not in Jesus. They have no right to the Father because he's not their heavenly Father. They have no right to be heard of God other than a cry of salvation to say, God, I'm a sinner and I'm asking your forgiveness. For that prayer, God's ears are open. For that prayer, God desires all men to be saved. For that prayer, God always hears for the lost. But lost people cannot approach God as we do, as the redeemed of Christ. In fact, you'll find out that lost people belittle prayer and they make fun of it. Many times when a tragedy in the nation happens and Christian leaders get on TV and they say, man, we're gonna pray about this and we're gonna seek the face of God. Lost people make fun of Christians for praying. Oh, we need more than prayer. Well, sure, we need action, but prayer is the greatest thing we can do. Prayer prayer lays the groundwork for the action, does it not? Prayer lays the road for the thing that we need to do, and what the lost world doesn't understand that. So what the lost need is a prayer of salvation, not a prayer of asking petitions. Because I'm gonna tell you this, a lost person doesn't know how to pray. A lost person doesn't know how to pray according to the will of God because they're not saved. They don't even know what the will of God is other than that they need to be saved, okay? Now let's talk about interceding uh, in prayer. Look at verses 16 and 17. Now John says some really interesting things here, and we're gonna try to unravel them a little bit. He said, if anyone sees his brother sinning, now we're talking about one Christian seeing another Christian who's in sin or has fallen, in one of those situations. He said, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. And then he makes an interesting statement. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. Now notice he didn't forbid praying about it. He just simply said, I'm not gonna command you to pray about that situation of sin and a death and we'll define those in a moment. Verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin. What a great statement. Anything contrary to the holiness and the righteousness of God is sin, period. You just can lump it all under there, okay? And there is a sin not leading to death. Now John, in his encouragement for us to pray for one another, to be intercessors in prayer, he breaks sin into two groups that are somewhat confusing. Some folks who interpret this passage, who deal with it say that it is a specific sin that is a sin unto death. I don't believe that's the correct way to understand this. I will say this, however, there are, there are instances in the Bible where Christians, saved people, have gotten into sin to such an extent that God takes them home, that God cuts their life short here and takes them home. That's not what John's talking about here in Corinth, for example, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and he said, you guys are abusing the Lord's supper. And what they were doing, if you read the history behind it, is the, the wealthy were celebrating the Lord's supper and getting intoxicated. And they were, they were blasphemous in it. And then they were unkind to their brethren who were poor. They didn't include them in the meal and they were causing a division in the church and plus getting drunk. And Paul said to them, because of that, some of you are sick, and some of you sleep, meaning some of you God's taken home because of your sin. So there are instances in the Bible and there are instances throughout church history where a Christian, a saved person, becomes so disobedient to God and, and, and gets so into sin and won't, and won't confess and be restored to a relationship with God that God just takes them home. That's not what John's talking about here. He's not talking about a specific sin. In fact, let me, let me describe it this way. Everybody who comes into the world is a sinner, okay? Everybody who's born after Adam, because Adam sinned and passed that down to all of humanity. In that everybody's a sinner, there are two paths sinners can take, okay? The first path is one of conscience and conviction. Because you're saved this morning, if you're saved, you were on that path. In other words, if we, if we tell a lie, we feel bad about it. We have a, we have a conscience about it. If, we're, if we cheat uh, on a test or, or, or cheat on our taxes or we, or we do something that we know is wrong, it bothers us, okay? Lost people have a conscience because they're created in the image of God. Someone who's unfaithful in their marriage has a conscience about it, they feel bad about it. I read in the news not long ago that a, that a person who had murdered someone and gotten away with it, eventually turned themselves in and they asked him, why'd you turn yourself in? He said, I couldn't live with it anymore. Okay, because of a conscience, because there was a conviction about it. Now it is that conviction through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit at some point in your life convicted you about your sin and you confessed to God and you asked him to forgive you and you were saved. So. There are lost people in the world who are not saved, but yet they have, a, they have a, a God-given conscience about sin. They know when things are wrong. They know when they've stepped over the line and, and they feel bad about it. They just never have come to Jesus and gotten saved. So there's that group of people who have a conscience about sin. But then there's another group that I believe John's talking about right here that we call, that we call in the Bible a reprobate group, okay? There are lost men and women in the world who, who lose their conviction and consciousness of sin because of their giving themselves over to sin. Everybody follow me? In other words, they get into sin to such a point where it becomes the passion of their life. In other words, if you were to read Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about this downward progression of of mankind where there was a time when we knew God, and there was a time that even though we knew God, we chose not to obey God. And in choosing not to obey God, we begin to pursue sin. And then, and then at some point, uh, our lust and our sinfulness became so bad that God gave us over to the sin. And then and at the end of chapter one, you find people who really are descriptive of reprobates, who not that God wouldn't save them, but they will never come back because they've so given themselves over to sin that listen, they have seared their conscience. I don't know in your life, but I have met people in my life who I would just put under a category of wicked, okay? They're just, they're just evil. They have no consciousness of sin. They have no conviction about wrongdoing. Uh, they have no compulsion about murdering someone, robbing, stealing, uh, beating people up, taking what's theirs. They're just so self-centered and so bent on sin that you can't talk to them. You can't talk reason to them. When I watch the news sometimes, Recently, and here's a good example of that. Recently, there were on a college campus, there's a, a Christian group who was having a, a public prayer vigil uh, for pro life. In other words, they scheduled it on the campus calendar, they had their group together, and there was just a small group of them, there were, you know, maybe 20, 30 Christian young people on a college campus who were in their designated area with their signs praying uh, for babies who, who would be aborted, and they were praying. And a, a pro-abortion group of young people, along with some other people who found out this thing was going on, came and attacked the Christian group. And when I say attacked them, I mean physically, took their signs, shoving them around, trying to, trying to pick a fight with them, when this Christian group was just there praying. And in the news report, many of the people who came to attack the Christians were, were being blasphemous before God. They were using the F word, you know, about your God. And they, were, and, and they interviewed a young Christian lady in this, in this event. And she said, she's very wise. You tell a Christian young lady, she said, I'm not afraid for me. She goes, I'm really afraid for them because of the things they're saying about God. How astute that is, okay? Now watch this, the young Christian lady fully understood the weight of their blasphemy and the seriousness of what these folks were doing. And she's more concerned for them, why? Because they had no consciousness of their sin. They had no understanding of of what they were saying and what they were doing. And it's almost as Jesus from the cross going, God, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't have any idea. I believe what John's saying here is this. There are people who come into the church and John's talking about intercessory prayer for brothers and sisters in Christ here now. For one another, we are to pray. And we all struggle with sin. We all all deal with failures and weaknesses. And you might have a prayer partner that you confide in and say, man, I had a terrible day yesterday. I said something I shouldn't have said. I was thinking things I shouldn't think. And you get together and you pray for one another. And that's good. That's exactly what John's saying here. Man, you pray for one another. You intercess for one another. You you make intercession for those around you and Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. You pray for those who are hurting. You pray for those who have had loss. You pray for those who are suffering and struggling in their faith. You pray for them. And by the way, as Christians, we should put some shoe leather to our prayer sometimes and meet those needs, not just pray over them. But then John said, there's another group of people who might come into the church and they're not saved at all. And through their lifestyle, they'll demonstrate they have no conviction about sin. And man, they just do whatever. And John said, I'm telling you, you don't need to waste your time with those people. You can pray for them, but they're not the ones you really need to intercede for. You need to intercede for those who understand. Let me read you a couple of quotes. One writer said this about about that group of people that John's saying, I'm not encouraging to pray for them. He said, once they begin to, to revel in sin, and to make it the deliberate policy of their lives. I like that. They're on the way to death, for they are on the way to a state where the idea of repentance will not and cannot enter into their minds. In other words, they, they are on that path Paul describes in Romans chapter one. You know, Jesus, when he gave us the example prayer in Matthew six, part of that prayer was, God lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why? Because we need that every day. And we need to pray that for one another every day, that God leads us not in temptation, but delivers us from evil. The mortal sin, as one describes it, is this, the mortal sin is the state of those who have listened to sin and refuse to listen to God so often that they love sin and regard it as the most profitable thing in the world, end quote. That's the state that John's describing here. Now I've had people ask me, and this is closely connected to the unpardonable sin Jesus speaks about to the Pharisees. It's the same thing. The Pharisees had so rejected God that they would come to a state where they were not receptive anymore to the gospel at all. And that's the unpardonable sin. And I have people sometimes say to me, Pastor, I'm afraid I've committed the unpardonable sin. I'm afraid I'm in the group that John's talking about here. Listen very carefully. If you're asking me about it, you're not in the group, okay? If you're concerned about it, you're not in the group. If you have a conviction about it, you've not committed the sin, all right? Because you have the conviction. Last thing I want to show you. In 1 John 5, 17, that statement, he said, all unrighteousness is sin. That really is the crust of the matter. All unrighteousness is sin, and we're all guilty of it. There's just two differences. There's one group of people who recognize it and say, and I'm, I'm, I'm wrong. And then there's a group who says I'm wrong, and I don't care who says I'm wrong. Now listen to me, we have a society full of people and this group that's getting larger, that says I'm wrong, and I don't care who says I'm wrong. I don't care if God says I'm wrong, I don't care. That group's getting bigger, and that's a problem. Because as that group gets bigger in society, society is gonna get worse. Why? Because there's no restraint on sin. They don't care what anybody says, they don't even care what God says. So if you're in a group over here where you have a conscience in praying, we need to pray for Jesus to come back, okay? Come rapture his church. But we know, we know from reading the book that this group's gonna get larger and it's gonna get worse because Antichrist is coming eventually and the tribulation is gonna be here. Let me wrap it up this way. We are expected to pray. It's an expectation. I, 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 my concern and my desire for you is that you have a prayer time that you pray throughout the day, pray. Pray in the mornings, in the evenings. Now again, I share this all the time. I like to pray in the mornings. I would rather ask God to keep me from the sin than have to confess it at the end of the day after I've done it. So pray in the mornings, ask God to deliver from sin. If you're here this morning, you're in one of those two groups, okay? You say, well, I'm not saved. I'm... Listen, if you're here and you have a consciousness of sin and you have a consciousness of wrong, God's convicting you about that and you can be saved. You just need to pray, confess your sin and ask him to save you. Jesus will save you today. I pray that for you today if you're lost. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for teaching us about prayer. God, I thank you for the conviction, the conscience that you place in every man and woman about right and wrong. That God, you're holy uh, and God, we're not, we're sinful. But God, maybe there's somebody today watching online or someone who will watch this video later and their heart's heavy over their sin, God. They know they're missing something in life and that thing they're missing is you, Jesus. I pray for them, God, right now, that they would confess their sin and say to you, God, I'm I'm a sinner and I know it. And I ask for your pardon, I ask for your forgiveness. God, save my soul right now. God, work in the hearts of men and women. We pray you would save them because we know that's your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing. If I can pray with you or help you, you come on the first verse. The Savior is
0: waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? There's nothing in this world He's waiting again to see if you're willing to open the door, oh,
1: how he wants to come in. Great to be here with you this morning. Uh, Tonight, I want to. We'll be in here at six o'clock. We're in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about Jesus feeding the 5,000. I'll give you a little prelude to it. It's the only miracle of Jesus in all four Gospels. There's a reason for that. Only one recorded in all four. So come back and let's talk about that together tonight. Anything else? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this morning, for this weekend. God, for your active response to our prayers, God, and how you work in our lives. Lord, bless us now through the afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen.